Um, Nehemiah chapter 13 is a little bit different than the rest of the book. Um, it doesn't fall in exact chronological order. It actually takes place, most scholars think, probably 5 to 12 years after chapter 12. And so during this time, Nehemiah gets called back to the emperor, and he spends some time there. And then he gets the opportunity to go back to Jerusalem. And when he goes back, it looks a little different than the first time he got there, right? First time Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem, it's in rubble. The wall's knocked down. He hasn't built this massive wall around the city. He hasn't seen the spiritual reforms take place. But as he's walking along this road or maybe riding an animal, he starts to see the city. And he sees the wall that God had called him to build. And he hears the cries of people inside because inhabitants had moved in. And then he finds out what happens when the leader is away. <laughs> it's kind of like when parents are away, right? You ever leave your kids alone for a while? Or you ever look up and go, it's really quiet. And you have that fear that comes into place? Yeah, I have. This is one of my favorite moments in my son's life. We were at my mom's house. She had made a cake. A lot of the family was in, and we were just sitting around talking and started looking around. I'm like, where's Logan? Where's Peyton? That's my niece. Well, I walked in, and that's the cake that I found. And then I followed the crumbs to a back room to find two small children that looked like they had just got here from, you know, a war-torn country, like eating cake in the corner with cake all over them, covered them, threw them in the bath. The water was disgusting. I was mad because I wanted the first piece of cake. South Point Church, the address for South Point is 3050 Buffalo Gap Road, Abilene, Texas, 79605. I can rattle that off really, really quickly because I've seen it a number of times. See, we've got these little stamps at the church that if we're mailing something out, just one click, boom, now the address is there. One day, I had to take it home because I knew I was going to be writing some stuff and sending some things out. And I started looking around. I was like, where's the stamp? Well, I found it after Andy did Andy took that and just walked down a hallway, stamping every foot. And then it made its way into my bedroom. Then he ended up in my bathroom. It was everywhere. I mean, probably a hundred of them. I don't, I don't think we had ink left when it was all said and done. That's what happens when we're not paying attention and when the leader is not there. Nehemiah gets back to his city and he finds a city that Look, in chapter 10, they had all come together and said, hey, we're making a covenant with God. We're going to be a people of the book. We hear God's word being read over us, being taught to us, and we want to follow in obedience to that. But then Nehemiah had to go away for a while, and some things started to creep back in. And we're going to finish up Nehemiah today by seeing Nehemiah step back into being Nehemiah. We don't know his exact age, but he's probably in his mid-60s by this point. He was probably around late 30s, early 40s, whenever he first started his work projects. And so now he's a little bit older, but man, is he ever still Nehemiah. And today we're going to see four different reforms that he kind of leaves with the people before he fades off into the sunset. So let's look at Nehemiah chapter 13. We're going to go through an entire chapter in one day. I'll get you out by dinner. It's going to be great. On that day, they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people. And it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God. For they did not meet the people of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. Yet our God turned the curse into a blessing. As soon as the people heard the law, they separated from Israel all those of foreign descent. As we've walked through this book, we've seen a whole bunch of different things. There's a lot to take away. There's been great leadership lessons. 
great lessons on spiritual revival. Man, one of the biggest things we take anything away from Nehemiah is this. God's word is consistent, and we need to follow it. God's word is consistent. This was written 2,500 years ago, and yet it still rings unbelievably true today. The truth that we find in the law, the truth that we find in the gospel. All of God's word is consistent throughout time, and we have got to follow it. Because these people, just a few years before, had said, okay, we want to be a people of the word. We want to be a people of the book. But they started to fall away some. And so Nehemiah comes in and begins to make some different reforms. And the first one is this. Outside influence can pull you away from God. So he comes in and they're reading and they find written in God's word, his consistent word, that no Amorite, no Moabite, there's a lot of ites in the Old Testament, right? All the different ites. Hey, they're not supposed to be able to come into our worship. Why? Because they don't worship our God. See, they each had their own. The Amorites had one called Milcom. The Moabites had one called Chemosh. Sometimes they shared other ones. You need to understand, like, we talk about pagan, dark stuff. Like, these are God, little g God, and it's pretty, pretty messed up. See, some of their ordinances and commandments involve things like child sacrifice. Like, that would be appeasing to their little g God. And so they look and they say, hey, this is not a people that are following after our God. And so we don't need to have them pull us away because they're going to come in and they're going to want to do things a little differently and they're going to say, oh, yeah, you can worship that, but you also need to worship this. And they know it's just going to pull them away. Well, how do we know God's word is consistent? Because what they're reading took place like a 1,000 years before them. So we're now like 3,500 years from today. The people of God go to enter into the promised land, and some of these foreign people, they find this false prophet named Balaam. They're like, hey, tell the, tell the people that God said this. They'll believe you. But in a wonderful twist of fate, God exposed it. In fact, Balaam went to get up to say what they told him to say, and God's truth actually came out. And he's like, I, where'd that come from? It really confused the people. There's also a wonderful story of Balaam involving a donkey that started talking. Um, you talk about some crazy stuff in the Old Testament. Balaam's like getting mad at this donkey and he's beating on it and the thing turns at him and he's like, stop that. And like just really, really, really crazy moment in scripture. But they, instead of greeting God's people with bread and water, they try and curse them. See, they remember Genesis 12, 3. There's a moment where God's talking to Abraham. He says, I will bless those that bless you. I will curse those that curse you. And a thousand years after that is said, these people remembering, hey, they cursed our God, and so we're going to take them out of the worship. Now, sometimes we can look at that and go, well, is that really fair? Like, they, they don't have the opportunity to worship God? They actually did. It just involved a conversion process that the Old Testament talks about. Today, we would look at that as the gospel. What is this? This is the body of Christ. If you are in a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are part of the body. You are part of the church and it doesn't mean that we just tell everybody else, no, you can't come here. No, but there's a conversion that takes place. See, when someone understands the full gospel that, yes, God created everything in absolute perfection for two whole pages, we got that. And then sin enters into the world, and it separates us from God. And we can try all the things we want to do to get back to him, be a good person, go to church, give some here or there, something like that. But that doesn't get you salvation. It doesn't bring about a conversion. It's only through Jesus Christ. 
It's only through saying, hey, I want to turn away from my old life. I want to follow him that we have salvation. We have grace. We have mercy. We have the opportunity to stand before a perfect and holy God justified through his son. And see, the Moabites and all the other ites, most of them didn't want that. Every now and then, someone would go, hey, it seems like your God does more than ours. And people would convert. But he's, for the most part, saying, hey, you try and let outside influence pull you away from God, and it won't take very long, and it will. And then he keeps going. Look in verse 4, probably my favorite part. It says, now before this, Elisha the priest, who was anointed over the chambers of the house of our God, who was related to Tobiah, prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels, the tithes of grain, wine, and oil, which were given by commandment to the Levites, singers, and gatekeepers, and the contributions for the priests. While this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem, for it was the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon. And I went to the king. And after some time, I asked uh, leave of the king, and came to Jerusalem, and I discovered the evil that Elisha had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. I love this. And I was very angry. And I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chambers. Then I gave orders, and they cleansed the chambers, and I brought them back there, the vessels of the house of God, with the grain offering and the frankincense. Second reform was this. Do not neglect God's house. See, the people had all gathered together, literally just a couple chapters ago, all these people came together, and they worshiped, and then God's word was read over them and poured out, and they said, we will not neglect God's house. We will make sure that it's taken care of. We will make sure that we give so that the priest can be there. Like they said, we will not neglect God's house. But without leadership there and not staying true to God's consistent word, some things started to happen. The first one is we get Tobiah back. Like, when we first started Nehemiah, we saw, like, every chapter, you had this name Tobiah, you had Sambalot, and they just kept coming up over and over and over again. Jerusalem has kind of a small town feel. Like, if you grew up in a small town, you know there's, like, certain families, it's like, you just can't get rid of them, uh, that sort of thing. I'm not mentioning any, we're online. Um, but you're thinking of somebody right now, and if you're not, it might have been you. Um, this is Tobiah. He just has that way to inject himself back into this story in ways that you wouldn't want to. Because Nehemiah, when he returns, Nehemiah knows every inch of this city. He knows what the temple courts are supposed to look like. He knows that behind that certain door is essentially a storeroom. It's where we keep offerings. It's where we keep things for acts of worship. And he's walking through there and opens the door. And I'm, I'm betting that the high priest wasn't there because he knew Nehemiah was going to be upset. So it was probably an intern. Um, Nehemiah opens this door and is like, what the... Heck, Nehemiah probably didn't say heck. And he looks in expecting to see offerings. Why is there a bed over there? There's like a writing desk, furniture, Xbox. I mean, what's going on here? They're like, well, this is Tobiah's apartment now. And Nehemiah goes, you have neglected God's house. That is not what this is meant to be. This is supposed to be a place that prepares people for worship, that provides for worship, and you let this guy move in and make it his apartment so he can see who's at the temple and who's not and use it for influence. Man, I love what Nehemiah does next. He doesn't go to the high priest and say, why'd you do this? He doesn't go to Tobiah and go, I need you to get your stuff out of there. If this were a movie, 
you would be looking at the front door and a chair just comes flying out of it. And then a bathrobe and then all this other stuff. And Nehemiah just goes through himself and throws everything out. I love that. <laughs> I've wanted to do that with the roommates before. <laughs> he just throws all of it out. He says, we're not going to act like that. I imagine he probably set some of it on fire. <laughs> then he brings priests in. He says, hey, we're going to purify this room. We're going to dedicate it back to what it's supposed to be. Just like they had dedicated the wall, the gates, he comes in, they cleanse and purify this room. And then he brings all of the things that were supposed to be there back into the room. And Tobiah probably does not argue with him. One, because he knew, hey, you've made a covenant with God. You said we're not going to neglect this house, this place of worship. And you're letting people creep in here and do things like that? No. Then that part continues on in verse uh, 10. It says, I also found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them, so that the Levites and the singers who did the work had, to f- had fled each to his field. So I confronted the officials and I said, why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their stations. Then all Judah brought the tithe of grain, wine, and oil to the storehouses. And I appointed as treasure over the storehouses, Shemaiah the priest and Zadok the scribe and Padiah the Levites and their assistant Hanan the son of Zachor, the son of Matthiah. For they were considered reasonable, and their duty was to distribute to the brothers. Remember me, O oh my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of God and for his service. This was a continuation of not neglecting God's house. Nehemiah had called the people together, and they said, hey, we're going to give so that worship can take place. We're going to make sure that the Levites are taken care of. We're going to bring in our first fruits. We're going to bring in tithes and offerings. We're going to make sure this happens. Because for many of them, remember, they had just gotten back to Jerusalem. They'd never experienced worship before. They'd never been a part of that. And suddenly, they're able to go to the temple and do all these things, and they said, we are committed to this. But then Nehemiah wasn't there. And one of the first things that happened is people said, hey, I'm not giving anymore. And so I imagine for a little while, the Levites and priests really tried to like hold out and go, man, I haven't been paid in a month. I've got a family to take care of, but I'm going to keep doing it. But then after a while, they just said, hey, I can't stay here anymore. I can't lead you in worship. These singers and the people that are crying out and leading in prayers, like they can't stay here anymore. Their families are literally starving. And so they had to go back to the places where they grew up, and they went back to fields, and they began to work that. And this worship isn't taking place in God's house. And Nehemiah pretty quickly goes, you know what? I can, I can fix this. And so he calls together a group of people that says they were reliable. He said, I need you to take care of this. And they begin to go out, and they begin to collect the tithes, and they're able to bring the Levites back in to purify rooms like Tobiah was in. And they were able to lead in worship and all of these things. See, Nehemiah understood we're not going to neglect God's house. This is going to be a place of worship. This is going to be something that is real. And it continues on. Well, actually, one thing. In verse 14, you see this. It's going to happen several times coming up. It says, remember me, O my God, concerning this. Over the years, especially the last couple of years, I've heard different people talk about Nehemiah and say he's kind of a vain guy. Because uh, he makes statements like this. Remember me, O oh God. Well, we're going to see eventually that's really going to be pointing people back to God. But there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> see, we know in the New Testament, there's going to be a day. If we're in Christ, he's going to look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Do you want to hear that? 
It should be a resounding yes. Because the opposite, you don't want to hear. Go away, I never knew you. Like, that's, that's what you don't want. I want to hear, well done. And Umai is just saying, God, remember the things that you've called me to do and that I've done. I want to point people back, not to myself, but to you. And then verse 15. It says, in those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath, and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys, and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Tyrians also who lived in that city brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah in Jerusalem itself. Notice that has an exclamation point at the end. He's getting worked up. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing that you are doing, profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers act in this way, and did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. As soon as it began to grow dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors should be shut and gave orders that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. And I stationed some of my servants at the gates that no load might be brought in on the Sabbath day. Then the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside of Jerusalem once or twice. But I warned them and said to them, why do you lodge outside the walls? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember this also in my favor, O God, and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. Nehemiah's third reform was to keep the Sabbath holy. See, the people had just spent time talking about this. The Sabbath was not a day for selling stuff and making money. It was a day of rest and reflection on who God was. But this isn't taking place. You've got people that Nehemiah's not here, and so it's like, you know what? We can sell seven days a week. And so you had people selling grain. You want bread? We got fish. You want oil, wine, whatever, even on a day that was meant to be dedicated to God. And Nehemiah comes in and goes, I'm not having that. And so the people, for a little while, they go outside the city and said, well, we're not in the city. You can come out here. And I love Nehemiah's like, I'm going to beat you if you don't go away. And they listened. This is like, Nehemiah's that really jacked guy at the gym who's 65. Um, he doesn't play around with this because he understands this is a day of rest. Like, do we really know what that means at times? Next week, we're going to start up a series called Summer School because sometimes you just need a little refresher on things, right? And the first one we're going to look at is, do we really understand what rest is? Like, when it comes to summertime, we think about vacations and that's going to be restful, but do we know what it is to rest in God? And this is what Nehemiah is trying to remind the people of. Hey, this day is not about making money. This day is about worshiping our God. Because Nehemiah remembers, y'all used to do this, and there was a consequence for it. Like we talked about that, like kind of that crazy cycle that we get on with sin where God's people fall away, and there's a consequence, and there's punishment, and the people cry out to God, and there's forgiveness. And then they just repeat the same process over and over again, and they run away from God, and there's consequence. They cry out, forgiveness. He goes, that's what brought our city down. That's why we had to rebuild these walls was because we were letting sin creep in in so many different areas. Why would you be so foolish as to do that again? I kind of like the walls that we built. Let's not have them broken down. And so he just continues to point people back and point people back. He says, you don't want to see that consequence again. 
And so if you don't want to see that consequence, you need to walk in obedience. And we need to dedicate a day to God. We need to dedicate a day to the Sabbath. We need to not let the house of God fall down. We need to let these things take place. And then he has his fourth reform. Verse 23, it says, In those days, I, uh, in those days also I saw the Jews who had married women from Ashab, Ammon, and Moab. And half their children spoke the language of Ashad, but they did not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. And I confronted them and cursed them and beat some of them and pulled out their hair. Old Testament. Uh, And I made them take an oath in the name of God, saying, You shall not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women? Among the many nations, there was no king like him, and he was beloved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, foreign women made him sin, or made him to sin. Shall we then listen to you and do all this great evil and act treacherously against our God by marrying foreign women? Nehemiah's fourth reform was this. Relationships matter. They matter because relationships really should be an act of worship. In this moment, You had these people that were marrying their children off to foreigners. Kind of sounds like his first reform. And again, this wasn't a systematic racism or anything like that. This was them understanding, hey, no, it's not the people. It's that they're worshiping all these other crazy gods. And it's pulling our people away. And we have got a history as a nation of letting this undermine us for the Israelites. Because they could look back and they could think of Samson. This guy that God had raised up to be a judge of the people. This guy that, man, the spirit of God would descend on him and he could take out entire armies. And then there was Delilah. (laughs) And it led to his death. And then he even brings up Solomon. Solomon was the wisest man to ever live. Solomon, if his wealth was put into modern equivalents, would be a trillionaire. That's the amount of gold that was brought to him every year. He was unbelievable as a leader and then there was the whole 700 wives thing (laughs) because he's trying to marry things off and bring kingdoms in and think it's going to give him power but with that came all these foreign gods that pulled him away and pulled God's people away see Nehemiah understood hey this isn't about today Nehemiah is thinking about the future Nehemiah understands, hey, it's not you who are going to suffer. It's your children and your grandchildren and all the generations that are to come. See, Nehemiah is thinking long-term in this one. He understands, hey, we put sound relationships together today, and they're going to continue to be a people of the book. They're going to continue to point people back towards God. They're going to be a people that want to worship. They're going to be a people who want to see God's house raised up. But if we start letting that drop now, in a couple generations, this will be gone. And you can watch that happen all over the place. Why don't we put such an emphasis at our church on kids and student ministry? Because they're the ones that are going to be doing this after we're gone. Somewhere out there, hopefully just now being born as some young punk kid. He's going to grow up, love Jesus called by God and he can be the next pastor at South Point. Like I said, he needs to be young. I plan on being here for a while. But we got to invest there because one day I won't be here. One day you won't be here. But somebody that you know will. Nehemiah understood, hey, our relationships should be an act of worship. 
It should be when they're starting off. Hey, what's your name? You want to get coffee? You love Jesus. <laughs> Maybe put that one first before coffee even. And then as we're in a relationship, we're married, it's two people that are chasing after God because what happens? It brings us closer together. Nehemiah understood this. <laughs> Nehemiah understood it pretty severely, like that whole pull the hair out thing. That doesn't play around. <laughs> but he understands, hey, we're making investments today for the future. And then it closes. It says, thus I cleanse them from everything foreign, and I establish the duty of the priests and the Levites, each for his work. I provided for the wood offering at appointed times and for the first fruits. Remember me, O oh my God, for good. This is what I love about Nehemiah. Nehemiah is one of those just freakishly phenomenal leaders. You've met people like that. Maybe, maybe you are one of those people. I'm not. <laughs> I had a friend in college who carried a 4.0 as like a petroleum engineering major, like screwed the curve up for everybody. Um, let's see, what else did he do really well? Oh, he's one of our leaders at work, made homemade furniture to sell, and played in the World Series of Poker. Um, one of those type people. This was Nehemiah. Nehemiah could have gotten a really big head. I've built a city, essentially. I've brought about reforms. But he doesn't say, remember me, Israel, for my good. He says, remember me, oh my God, for good. See, when the Israelites were walking along the wall, there wasn't some big billboard that said, made by Nehemiah or anything like that. Nehemiah understood, I'm just a character here. I'm just someone who's trying to walk in obedience. More than anything, I want people to remember it's God that did all of this. It was God that placed this burning in my heart to return to Jerusalem to make sure the wall was built, to see God's city raised back up. It was God who put a desire in my heart to take a step back and let Ezra step in as the spiritual leader and to watch this revival take place. It was God that called me back to this city to let me see, hey, you're, you're starting to do this again. We're starting to mess up. We don't need to do it. And I love you enough to tell you we're going to walk differently. We're going to be set apart. Nehemiah knew it's not me, it's him. Man, my prayer for us this week is that as a church, we could say, remember us, oh my God, for good. Not so that people could go, hey, what's going on here? But that we could point people continually back to who he is. Let's pray. God, we love you. God, I'm thankful for your consistent word. What was read over those people 2,500 years ago is what's read over us today and it has the power to change us. God, ultimately, we know that your son can make a way for new life for us. So if there's anyone that's here today or listening online, God, and they don't, they don't know what it looks like to have a relationship with you, but every time we say Jesus' name, something just stirs in them, and you go, I'm, I'm, I want that. If that's you today, if it's never been a personal thing, but you, you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, I would encourage you to pray, God, as best as I know how, I want to come to you. I want to turn away from my old life. I want to follow Christ and make him the Lord of my life. 
And in that instant, there is conversion. In that instant, there is new life. And God, we celebrate it because we know it comes from you. And so if that was you today, I'd encourage you, put that on a connect card. Talk to one of our staff, myself. We want to celebrate that. God, I pray that we would be a people committed to you. That we would be a people committed to obedience, to walking in your word. God, you were doing huge things a long time ago, and I pray that we get to continue to see you do huge things today. We ask all of that in Christ's name. Amen.